Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Grizz Weekly Grind, a proud affiliate of the Basketball Podcast Network. I'm Pete Pranica, TV voice of the Memphis Grizzlies and your host for the program. This is episode 20, and in today's show, we'll talk about the last couple of games that the Grizzlies played, and that was the week that was. As per usual, we'll have some Petey's points, and we'll bring back NBA story time today. We're basically looking at the one-year anniversary of the shutdown of the NBA, or the NBA going on hiatus, I guess, to be uh, more exact and more correct. And uh, I'll just revisit that day in Portland when we found out that the NBA season would be suspended. And then, because the Memphis Grizzlies are taking on the Miami Heat later on this week, Wednesday night tilt to be precise, we'll visit with Eric Reed. He will be today's friend of the program. Eric Reed is an original member of the Heat broadcast crew, and is their longtime now television play-by-play announcer and a Florida Sportscaster of the Year Award winner from the National Sports Media Association. So that's what we have lined up for today on the Grizz Weekly Grind, which is being brought to you today by the Hoop City Basketball Club. Since 2005, their mission has been to assist young student-athletes in grades 1 through 12 in developing a strong work ethic with discipline, responsibility, and accountability. Hoop City has helped young men be great on the court and in the community, and their alumni include major college and NBA players. For more information on how to become part of this great sports and character-building club, log on to HoopCityBC.com, and you can follow them on Twitter at HoopCityBC. As they say, it's in our blood, it's who we are in Hoop City. All right, let's get to That Was the Week That Was. Grizzlies have played twice since our last visit in episode 19. Uh, Two disappointing losses, quite honestly, and both of them disappointing, but for different reasons. On Friday, the Grizzlies were home to the Denver Nuggets. Grizzlies had a 31-26 lead after one quarter against one of the best first quarter teams in the NBA, but the Grizzlies could not hold on to that advantage as the Nuggets would go on to win it 103-102. Nikola Jokic didn't get the triple-double, did get a double-double, and he scored the last five points of the game. He finished with 28 and 15 boards with seven assists to just one turnover. I know that LeBron James is a very fashionable pick, perhaps, as the most valuable player, but when you look at Jokic, he might be, literally, if we're if we're really breaking down valuable, uh, he might be the most valuable player in the NBA. Nobody touches the ball more than, than Nikola Jokic. Nine triple-doubles as of this recording, which is uh, one behind Russell Westbrook for league leadership. More double-doubles than anybody else. And, I mean, we, we've seen some good passing big men in the NBA, and and I think of Marc Gasol, obviously, as being one of those. Jokic is as good as I can remember seeing uh, his vision, his ability to look away, his ability to to deliver the pass on time, in rhythm, is really, really remarkable. And he also has very good hook shot, good mid-range jump shot. He's got a little bit of everything. Yes, he even hit a three in that basketball game. It offset a real good game from Brandon Clark, who had 20 points and five rebounds off the bench. Dylan Brooks went for 20 hitting four of six from downtown. Grizzlies, for just the second time this year, lost the game when they outshot the opponent. Uh, Grizzlies shot 46% even, Denver 44.6%. Grizzlies did a lot of things right in this basketball game, but they end up losing it by one point. Um, 
there was the controversial call or non-call at the end of the game. I'll touch on that in Petey's points. It was a correct call by Rodney Mott. Grizzlies were hoping that uh, Jokic committed a foul that would have put John Morant at the line with the potential to put the Grizzlies in front. Did not quite work out that way. It was disappointing in that the Grizzlies could not seal the deal. It was encouraging in that the Grizzlies played one of the better teams in the NBA, the Denver Nuggets, who had gone into the All-Star break having won their last four games. You you felt good if you were the Grizzlies because you played them toe-to-toe and had a chance with the ball in your hands to make a game-winning shot on the part of John Morant. Did not work out that way. So it's disappointing that you didn't get the win, but you felt good with how well you played against a very good Denver team. Meanwhile, on Sunday, the Grizzlies go to Oklahoma City to start a two-game road trip, and this is a, a loss that's disappointing because you know you look at it and you think that this loss never, ever should have happened. And, and the reason is Oklahoma City had gotten blown out the day before by the New York Knicks in their own building, Al Horford's not playing. Lou Dort is not playing. Uh, and you look at the lineup and Ty Jerome, last time these teams played, G League. Moses Brown, last time these teams played, G League. Alexei Pokashevsky, last time these teams played, G League. So three of the five starters on Sunday for the Oklahoma City Thunder did not appear in the first game between these two teams in Memphis back in February 17th because they were in the G League. And that was the starting five. Oklahoma City managed to shoot lights out from three. Second worst three-point shooting team in the league by percentage. But this is what happens when you get a team that has some confidence. They made 16 of 31 threes for 51.5%. And Pokashevsky, who 24 hours earlier had gone 0 for 6 from three, went 5 of 8, finished with a 23-point, 10-rebound, double-double, just 19 years of age, played in the Greek League, but in the B League for Olympiacos. Not their A team, but uh, was drafted by Minnesota and traded to Oklahoma City as part of the deal that took Ricky Rubio back to Minnesota. Played fantastic basketball. Shea Gilgis-Alexander was standard Shea Gilgis-Alexander, 30 points, 5 assists, and 4 rebounds. Grizzlies had a 12-point lead in the third quarter, could not expand it, had a 10-point lead entering the fourth quarter, and the Thunder just shot lights out in the fourth quarter, outscoring the Grizzlies 38-22. to um, Usually when you shoot 51% from the floor and you only have seven turnovers and you force 25 for 35 points, score 62 in the paint, you should win the basketball game. But the Grizzlies' defense, which as of late had been one of the better defensive units in the NBA, had no answer for the Oklahoma City Thunder. Uh, they shoot 58% for the game. And this is an Oklahoma City team that their defense is, is decent, but their offense has most definitely been a work in progress. And with a lot of varied pieces who had come out of the G League bubble, they took down the Grizzlies 128-122. to And uh, so a disappointing loss because it's a game that the Grizzlies, if if for some reason they don't end up seeding-wise where they wanted to be and they miss it by a game, this is a game that they will look back at and really regret. So the Grizzlies, after losing back-to-back games, uh, now 17-18 and 18 
on the season, and they head to Phoenix, where they will play the Phoenix Suns on Monday night before they return home to take on the Miami Heat on St. Patrick's Day. And that was the week that was. Just a moment here to tell you that if you have been listening to the Grizz Weekly Grind, and if you have been enjoying it, I would certainly hope that you would leave a review and or a rating wherever you get your podcast so that we can get a little bit better read on what we're doing with the program. Hopefully you like it. If you have some suggestions or thoughts or ratings, I'd hope that you would share those. Those are always very, very important to us. As you know, my DMs are open on Twitter at Pete Pranica. If you have questions about the show, if you have questions you'd like answered on the show, we certainly can do that as well. So uh, like I said, leave us a rating. Let us know how we're doing. Uh, this is episode 20, a little bit of a milestone, and we're very excited about that. And We're very excited to have you along for the ride here on the Grizz Weekly Grind. And now, back to the program. Petey's points for today. Uh, number one, I'm going I'm to start with the last call of the Denver game. Uh, there, there was some social media discussion about it, and let me take you inside what happened there. Uh, those of you who watched the game, you saw John Morant drive on Jokic. You saw there being some contact. You saw Rodney Mott, the crew chief, who was in the lead position on the baseline, raise his right arm with an open hand. Um, when we were looking at the play from our broadcast location, we see jaw drive, we see contact, we see an upraised arm, which led us to believe that a foul had been called on Jokic, which would have put put jaw on the line, potentially giving the Grizzlies the lead in that situation. There was a foul then called on Dylan Brooks uh, in the rebounding action uh, after the missed shot by Morant. Again, we were confused. We're not sitting on the floor because of the pandemic. And so, you know, our communication uh, with the officiating crew was not there. Very thankful that a couple of referees uh, that I've come to know pretty well uh, reached out immediately and said, look, Rodney Mott was signaling verticality there. Not the best signal in the world, honestly, because uh, in, in that situation where you see a driving player, you see contact, and all of a sudden you see a single arm raised, it, you begin to think, okay, there's a foul. Didn't hear the whistle, thought maybe it was going to be a late whistle, uh, and it wasn't a late whistle. It was a no call. And as it turns out, last two-minute report confirmed, and, and, and Brevin and I felt it, 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 it was a no call, that Jokic was vertical. Um, but it was a very, very confusing situation. And uh, for those of you who felt uh, the need to opine on Twitter that I'm an idiot, well, go for it. Uh, you know, look, <laughs> we, we, we saw what we saw and reported what we saw. And, um, you know, again, it was, it was part of a disappointing night for the Grizzlies because they had played so well against the Denver Nuggets. Second PD's point, Jaron Jackson Jr. Um, again, now the announcement that he'll be reevaluated again. A lot of people are wondering, is this a setback in some way, shape, or form? It's not. He is still within the rehab window that, that you would expect. They're trying to make sure that he is completely healed from the meniscus repair. Um, look, you could have taken the meniscus out, and the results might have been him being back sooner, but it would have meant that he would have had an arthritic knee potentially earlier potentially a shorter career. 
The Grizzlies are taking the long view with Jaron. They want him to be a Grizzly and a productive Grizzly for a number of years. They want to be cautious about it. I get it. The Grizzlies are within striking range of being in the playoffs. Why would you bring him in early and run the risk of aggravating the injury or not having back having him back at 100%? I know we all want to see him back. I think everybody's patience is running a bit thin, but there comes a time where you have to delay gratification and do the right thing. That's what the Grizzlies are doing. I get it. I want to see Jaron. I admit it, I'm a little impatient, would love to see him with his group, but there's a right time to do this, and that right time has not yet arrived, and I'm going to trust the Grizzlies medical team and their performance team to do the right thing and make sure that Jaron has a long career in Beale Street Blue and a productive career in Beale Street Blue. Last Petey's point I'm going to give you, uh, and, and this kind of ties into the whole Jaron discussion. Right now, the Grizzlies have everybody healthy with the exception of Jaron Jackson Jr., creating a tremendous logjam for minutes. And one of the guys who, at least in the last two games since coming back from the concussion protocol, who has been caught up in the, the lack of minutes because there are so many healthy bodies is Grayson Allen. And I mean, Grayson Allen has been a guy who's scored 20 points in a game. He has started games. Uh, he's come off the bench, uh, and now he's DMPCD. I get it. I mean, Desmond Bain has played well as a starter. You've got Justice Winslow back. You have multiple guys on the wings that you can play. So, you know, when, when you look at uh, the Oklahoma City game in particular, Grayson doesn't play. Gorgie doesn't play. Conchar doesn't play. Jonte Porter, Killian Tilly don't play. Somebody's going to be left out. You know, and it wasn't like, I mean, Tyus Jones only played 13 and a half minutes. Tillman played 16 and a half. Justice played just under 24 minutes. You know, how many more minutes are there? Uh, but it will be interesting to see. I mean, the coaching staff consistently evaluates who should get minutes, and uh, that's going to be an ongoing conversation. I'm not saying this as an advocate that Grayson Allen needs to be playing. If he's going to win his position back from Desmond Bain, so be it. He'll, he'll have to have that opportunity. Um, but right now the Grizzlies think that they're in a pretty good groove. And offensively, last couple of games, they've been in a pretty good groove. I mean, you know, Bain was a double-figure scorer in the Denver game, uh, not nearly as effective in uh, the game at Oklahoma City. But overall, I mean, the Grizzlies shot 51%. They were fine. Um, so, you know, it, it's, it's going to be an ongoing situation for the Grizzlies coaching staff trying to figure out who gets minutes, how many, when, and, um, and how do they come. So those are the Petey's points for today. As uh, we remind you that the Grizz Weekly Grind is being brought to you by our good friends at the Garner Framing Company who ask, if there was one thing you could do, one bold action you could take, one inspired choice you could make, one investment guaranteed to transform Memphis, would you do it? If that answer is yes, here's your chance. The Grizzlies Foundation is looking for Memphians to be the difference in a child's life by becoming a volunteer mentor. There are 800 youth in Memphis waiting for your decision today, so don't delay. Join the movement and become a mentor at grizzliesfoundation.org. This message brought to you through the generous support of Garner Framing Company, serving Memphis for 70 years and a proud supporter of the Memphis Grizzlies Foundation. Framing consultations now being taken by appointment, 901-685-7796. The reason that Garner Framing Company is taking their consultations by appointment, of course, is the COVID-19 pandemic. I think we're all sick and tired of it. I don't think there's any question about that. 
We've recently passed the one-year anniversary of COVID dominating our lives, shutting down not only the NBA, but much of our social, cultural, and uh, social life. Uh, So just to go back a year, uh, the last game the Grizzlies played before uh, going out on a road trip that started with the Portland Trailblazers, uh, Grizzlies were at home to Orlando. And the NBA had put in place protocols for pregame interviews and such. And I remember very clearly that I could not sit next to Taylor Jenkins as we did our pregame interview. I had to to sit on the opposite side of the hall. Uh, We each had a microphone, and it was an entirely odd setup. And uh, Brevin and I have always had the tradition, no matter who's been on the coaching staff, that when we finish our stand-up on the court and – before we walk back to our broadcast position, we shake hands with with all the coaches. Uh, there there were elbow bumps, and we laughed about it a little bit. We weren't really sure what we were getting ourselves into, and the Grizzlies lose the game. And then we fly to Portland the next day. During the course of that flight, there were social media notes that something was going on that the NBA was looking at any number of different alternatives as to how they were going to play games. And I remember very clearly talking with our producer, Scott Zachary, and some other people on the flight that we thought we might go to Moda Center and might play the Portland Trailblazers in, in an empty gym. That's what we thought might be happening. Of course, we land, we get to the airport. I sit down at my desk, I start to do a little bit of game prep. And uh, because we're on the West Coast, games in the Midwest and the Eastern time zones, have begun already, and we get the word that Rudy Gobert uh, has tested positive for coronavirus, and the Oklahoma City game that was about to begin would not be played. And uh, it wasn't all that much later. I was walking around downtown Portland, and Shams had tweeted out that the NBA season was going on hiatus. And I, I think all of us felt, wait, this, this can't possibly be bright that we're going to shut down the season for a period of time. But that's exactly what happened. And I went to uh, went to the steakhouse inside the Nines Hotel in Portland where we stay. And I just had the biggest steak I could possibly find because I didn't know when I was going to get another one and didn't know when we'd be traveling again. And I remember talking to the server and the Nines is a hotel right downtown Portland where a number of NBA teams stay. And the waiter at that moment uh, already understood the gravity of what was going to happen to, uh, to his business because NBA teams would not be coming into the hotel and travel across the country and across the world would be curtailed. Thankfully, we are starting to come out of the woods with the pandemic. We're starting to get more and more people vaccinated. Um, I've had my first Pfizer shot. I also participated in a clinical trial for the Johnson & Johnson shot. So hopefully things will be getting closer to normal. I don't know that we're going to have full buildings for the playoffs, but hopefully next year, next NBA season, we will have full buildings and teams can play in market and can play 82 games, and we won't have to deal with all that we have been dealing with. However, in the meantime, I would urge you, even though we are coming out of the woods on this, Please mask up. Please be careful. Please take care of yourself. Not everybody has been vaccinated yet. So please, please, please let's stick a fork in this back stick a fork in this virus rather and uh, let's get it over and done with. So 
I know that we're all tired of masks. I know we're tired of distancing. I know we're tired of, uh, of carrying out food rather than eating in a restaurant. But do your part to uh, make sure that we can put this pandemic in the rearview mirror as quickly as possible. As I mentioned earlier in the show, the Grizzlies will be uh, coming home for a homestand, and they will take on the Miami Heat on Wednesday. Miami Heat, formidable opponent. They're one of the hottest teams in the NBA right now. Of course, they were the Eastern Conference finalist a year ago against the Los Angeles Lakers. We don't see the Heat all that often, so it's always good to catch up with Eric Reed. Eric Reed was an original member of the Heat broadcast team. He started out on the radio side after being the voice of the Providence Friars. Uh, since then, he has moved over to the television side, their longtime TV voice, award-winning play-by-play voice, one of the very best people that we have in our business. And there is no better person to talk about the Miami Heat and no better person to have on the show as a friend of the program than Eric Reed. Eric, as we record this, the Miami Heat, one of the hottest teams in the NBA. You've won nine of your last ten. The defense has been outstanding. What has been the key to the turnaround and and to this hot streak for your team? Uh, In two words, Jimmy Butler. Uh, A more extended version of that. Obviously, he's the Heat's most important player. Uh, The Heat are seven or eight games over 500 with him. They're six games under without Jimmy. Um, you know, they've, they've won their last three without their starting center, Bam Adebayo, but they've had Jimmy Butler. So I think it, it shows you, you know, the pecking order of importance, uh, you know, with our two best players. But the two, two key things. The, the defense has kicked in, in in the Heat's last nine wins. They're holding teams to about 102 points per game on 42% shooting. Their three-point defense, which was poor early, has gotten a lot better. And the other thing that's gotten a lot better, Pete, is is turnovers. We're still among the worst two or three teams in turnovers per game. But if you look at over the last nine or ten, the last nine wins, it's about 12 or 13 turnovers a game where we're plus points per game off turnovers in the last nine wins. So we've taken the two most vulnerable areas, defending the three and taking care of the basketball and turned it into, you know, an asset at the moment. So that's turned it around for Miami. It's a group, Pete, that works too hard and cares too much about the result to let go of the rope and not continue to seek and find answers. And and they are seeking and, and, and finding some solutions. And, uh, uh, I think with Jimmy back, everything else is falling into place. I thought the other key thing, Pete, and in a in a season where Spolstra has used 18 different starting lineups, uh, tells you how many sort of how many decisions he's had to make. I thought his most important one was back on the 5th of February when he took Tyler Hero out of the starting lineup, and Hero was playing well as a starter, but he took him out. He put Dragic in as the starter for that game at Washington. Miami wins that game, but Dragic gets hurt. That's when Kendrick Nunn gets put back into the starting lineup, and he has not left that group since. And now you got Dragic and Tyler Hero coming off the bench, and it's worked. It's put those three guys, Dragic, Hero, and Nunn, all back in the positions where they were very successful last year in those same roles. Um, you know, Kendrick is back to being a 15, the 17 point a game guy. He's excellent as a secondary playmaker when he's playing with Bam and, and Jimmy Butler. He's a shot maker at every level, three, mid-range, layups, dunks. He can score in every way. So 
Uh, it's taking advantage of what guys can do, and guys are back in familiar roles and uh, back in the familiar role of winning games. So it's it's beginning to click back into form. But, Pete, you see, you, all you got to do is look at the East standings. I mean, 4 through 11 separated by, like, two games for the last month, and that's probably going to be the way it continues. But just now, you, you're trying to create a little separation. And, and if the Heat can continue banking wins, you're going to get the separation because it is so even that a hot streak uh, obviously helps you. You – have a number of personalities, and you mentioned a number of people that I want to talk about in, at, at greater length. Let's start with Jimmy Butler. I, I think the outsider's view is um, fanatically competitive, intense desire to win. Uh, what more can you tell us about Jimmy Butler? I mean, that, like I said, that's the outsider's view. You get to see him on a daily basis, and I know you're not around the team this year because of COVID, but you have been around him before. Give us some insight into Jimmy Butler and what makes him tick. I, th- I think you hit on two of the, th- the things. You know, I did another interview today, and somebody compared him to Alonzo Mourning in terms of his leadership, and I think it's applicable to compare them in their leadership styles. And you, you know what the best thing about it is, Pete? You've been around enough teams to know this. When your best player is your hardest worker, you're in a great spot. When your best player is lower on that work ethic ladder – Um, you're already in a compromised position because when you start lecturing or coaching or pushing guys to play harder or practice better, but your best guy is not doing it, it it almost never works. So Jimmy, like Alonzo Mourning, is your hardest worker. And he only cares about winning. He, you know, he is the Heat's point guard. It doesn't matter what position they list him at. He's a point guard. So he's built like a linebacker, but he plays quarterback and you know, I, I w- if you want to make an NFL a- analogy, he's a running quarterback, okay? He can throw the ball if you need to get it downfield, but he, he's going to pick up yardage. He's going to move the chains in, in a basketball way with his ability to get to the basket for scores. Uh, his drive and, and kick game for threes is what I think unlocks the door for Miami's three-point shooting. And Jimmy usually, you know, takes the temperature of the game every night and fills in the gaps and, and does what's needed uh, to, to obtain a victory and he's got the skill and the will to do it and uh, he usually does do it so he's had some big fourth quarters uh, a couple of nights ago it was Dragic that scored 20 in the fourth quarter in the win at Chicago but Jimmy's the engine that drives the team he's you know he's an excellent defender he, he competes every night and all he cares about is, is, is winning and I, I just think his marriage with the Heat came at a perfect time for both. Uh, Jimmy finally found a place where he's surrounded by like-minded individuals who care only about the bottom line of winning and, and competing for championships. And Jimmy's at that point in his life and his career where he's a mature man, a mature finished product as a player, and uh, the Heat value everything he brings. And I've said this on the air a lot lately, Pete. Uh, if you're a Heat fan and you're looking at Jimmy Butler, he is everything you had hoped for and more because we didn't know uh, the kind of leadership he would bring. He's been a terrific leader uh, for veteran guys, um, witnesses great relationship with Dragic, but he's been great for, for the younger group that Miami has. He's given them all confidence, and uh, he believes in them. So – that, that, that's helped all our younger guys, and we got a bunch of them in Hero, Bam, Nunn, and Duncan Robinson. Those are real 
a core of four young, important players, and Jimmy's helped every one of them, including guys like uh, Precious Achua and Casey Yukpala, all the all the newcomers. Uh, when you when you see your best player the, be the first guy in the gym and care the most about winning, uh, those words and and his actions carry a lot of weight. We're visiting with Eric Reed, an original member of the Miami Heat broadcast team and currently the TV voice of the Miami Heat. He's today's friend of the program on the Grizz Weekly Grind. Eric, you talk about leadership, and I have always had great admiration for Eric Spolstra as somebody who came up through the video room, came up doing advanced scouting, doing all the dirty work, and I think he's a coach that should end up in the Hall of Fame, but yet he never seems to get the accolades that he really deserves. Take us behind the scenes a little bit with Spo and and what has what has led to his longevity. I think part of it might have been might be the relationship with Pat Riley and the fact that they're like-minded individuals. Obviously, you've won multiple championships there, but what is it about Spo that makes him so incredibly successful there in Miami? I guess it's a lot of stuff, Pete. But um, you know the the stability in the ownership and the leadership from the Arison family and Pat Riley uh, has created a stability throughout the organization. And, and Spo in his 13th year is one of the longest tenured head coaches in the league. And I think everybody knows he's one of the best coaches in, in pro sports. He, he's always striving to get better. Um, he's, he's open to input from a lot of places. He's studied a lot of football coaches and met with them. He's got, close relationships around the league. Uh, we talked to him last night about his relationship with Billy Donovan and all that they have in common. Um, but suppose very good. He, he, he coaches every guy and uh, you know, he didn't get enough credit when he had LeBron and D Wade and Chris Bosch because people underestimate how difficult it is to coach great talent and how challenging it is. A lot of, a lot of head coaches are afraid to coach their top guy. And some of those top guys are difficult to coach, but he didn't shy away from coaching LeBron. And think about what that does in your locker room. If, if you're pointing out mistakes uh, to 12 or 13 guys in the room, but your top one or two guys, you're letting it slide in the film session. I mean, the whole room sees and feels that, and that's not a great thing for, for team unity. So he coaches one through 15 and he always finds a way through problems um, you know, I, I think his willingness to, to experiment with zone defense has created a lot of teams to follow suit. I think that's really helped Miami. They're, they're switching from man to zone uh, to full court pressure, you know, and doing it with different personnel. Last year, he used Derek Jones uh, first as a, a guy in the back of the 2-3 zone. And then it evolved where he had Derek and Andre Iguodala at the top of a 2-3 zone. So... Uh, like Nick Nurse in Toronto, Eric's not afraid to go out of the box and try different things. And he's always working at it. He cares a lot about it. He's very talented. He's put a great staff together and the Heat take a lot of pride, as do a lot of organizations. But, you know, it's two parts. You got to discover the talent and that's only half of it. And then you got to develop that young talent and, and uh, keep working with it and uh, have team accountability uh, care about defense, have a plan, and, and work on it all the time. And, and that's what he does. And he's done it with 13 very different teams. And uh, he's been very successful. I think his, his, his accolades and his credit are coming later in his career. I think he, he was sort of undercredited 
when the Heat went to those four straight finals with their super teams. But going to the finals last year with an ensemble group that was that the sum was better than the individual parts and the, the team qualities they displayed. I, I thought nationally it was our most popular team ever because the whole country sort of gravitated to the team style and the way Miami took down the favorites in the Bucks and the Celtics uh, to get to the Lakers. I'll be honest with you, uh, Pete, if, if Dragic and Bam didn't get hurt in game one of the finals, that could have been a very different series because even without those two, Miami took the Lakers to six games with them. You know, there's no telling, but it clearly would have been a more competitive series. So Spo got a lot of credit after that series. And, and I think he's always been highly respected among his peers. And now even the average fan understands uh, the quality of his coaching. One of the things that we hear so often in the NBA is, is heat culture. And I would imagine that, and you referred to the stability with the ownership of the Arison family, having Pat Riley around, Define for us what heat culture is and was that generated by Pat Riley and, and, and how does that permeate your franchise and, and the product on the floor? You know, I, I think there's very few teams that, that like even have a culture that you can, you know, hang your hat on. I mean, and there's very few individuals that on their own can sort of create that feeling of, of culture. And, you know, Bill, Par- Bill Parcells did it in a number of places. So did Bill Belichick, but you're seeing if you take away, you know, you got to have talent to help your culture. Okay. So the Patriots culture looks different without Tom Brady. So you need both. It's, it's not just one, but for great talent to achieve great team things, there's got to be an accountability and a, and a, I think a, an organizational culture that goes with it. And Pat's one of those rare people. I think Greg Popovich is another that has created a culture of its own and some of it comes with stability, but it, and longevity, but to have those two things, you have to have talent and a plan and stick to it. And, and I think the Spurs have done it under pop. The heat have clearly done it, you know, in the 25, 26 years that Pat Riley has been in Miami and it's an accountability. It's uh, you know, the heat culture is, you know, hardest working, most professional, toughest, nastiest, defensive-minded, um, and, and really embrace all of those things. And I think, you know, Eric Spolstra says it a lot. Um, he says, we're not for everybody. Uh, if you don't want to work at it, if you don't want to really care about it and take it personal, um, this is not the place for you. But I think you've seen enough examples over the years, guys that come here, whether they're veterans or young players and veterans realize it Pete, more than the young guys do because they've been in other places. Uh, you know, they weigh you in, in Miami, there's weekly weigh-ins and body fat checks. I mean, it's crazy to think that a lot of teams don't do that. Um, but the heat do. And uh, if you, it's not just that, it's just the attention to detail on a daily basis. I think the heat ask a lot from their players and they give a lot back in return, including the opportunity to win and and get the most out of your career and and maybe that's a fat contract with the next team maybe that's a, an extended stay in miami maybe it's a little of, of the two but you know careers are short players don't realize it while they're in it but in the blink of an eye you've played 10 years and you're done i think the best players in, in this business want to get the most out of their talent and be surrounded by players that want the same thing and and really there's nothing longer than a short season that ends with a lot of losses and no playoffs. Uh, nobody enjoys that. 
and um, a career goes by really quickly. I think what what separates and defines success is not points per game. It's it's wins and and hopefully championships on your resume. One last thing for you. People are curious. Precious Achua, how has he acclimated to the Heat culture, and, and how has he been in his rookie year? I think he's been a great fit, Pete, to the culture because he's he's uh, enjoys work. He wants to be great. Um, he's in a place that values defense. And, and you know, I'm always scared of players where if, if you hear somebody question a guy's motor, like uh, it's, it's a major red flag for me. How many guys have been successful that don't have a good motor, right? So, but when you find a, 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 a fast revving motor in a big, that catches your attention. And, and Precious is one of those guys. He plays hard and fast. He's, he's an instinctive defender and rebounder. But he's only 6'8", 6'9", so he's a little undersized. But uh, he can rebound and he can defend. I think his offense, a, lot, a little like Bam Adebayo. Um, it's raw and unpolished and needs work. Uh, but he's willing to put the work in. And, uh, you know, what we've seen in Miami from Bam in his four years, every year the offense has grown. And I'll never forget the first summer league. It was after Bam's rookie year. And I, we go to summer league in Vegas, and the Heat have Bam bringing the ball up the court. And at this point, he's not even making 10 to 12-foot jump shots yet. And he's acting as like a point center in summer league. And I'm I'm watching this saying, like, what are we doing with this kid? Why, why don't we like go slower or, and it shows you how little I know and how much they know um, because Pat Riley and, and Eric Spolstra saw something in BAM, you know, even coming out of Kentucky. And, and now you're looking at one of the best playmaking big men in the game. You know, Jokic, Jokic is in a class by himself, but BAM's one of the best passing big men in the league. His dribble handoffs and, and his box outs and his screen setting, uh, his defense, uh, now being caught up to by a mid-range shot that is very valuable and has become a huge asset to him. He's one of the best young big men in the league. And, and if Precious could follow that, that example, he's going to be in great shape. Now, right now, he's, he's only getting about 13 minutes a game. And those minutes aren't guaranteed. And that's a good thing because, uh, you know, all of a sudden we got a second year guy named Chris Silva who had a hip injury for a lot of this season, but he had, he's a little like precious big motor for a big guy, defense and rebounding first. And he's healthy again. Now, all of a sudden, after not playing for over a month, he's played in the last two games you know, he only played 12 minutes last night in Chicago, but eight of those minutes came in the fourth quarter. He had three rebounds and two blocks in the fourth quarter. That'll earn you more minutes in the next game. So that's the kind of competition you want on your roster for minutes because every minute matters. There's not a lot of minutes when Bam is playing. Uh, so you got to uh, make the most out of the ones you get. And, and the Heat, Spo says it all the time. He goes, we got functional, real depth. We've needed it. We, we've even used our two-way guys a lot early in this season, Gabe Vincent and Max Struess. Now neither one are playing again because we're healthy, but uh, this is a very deep team, one through, fifth, one through 15 or 16. So uh, in a season like this, you need all of those guys. And right now, Precious is being challenged for minutes, but I, I think the future is bright for him uh, because he's going to keep working at his game and he's in a place that will keep working with him to expand his game. Eric, thanks so much for the time, and hopefully uh, we'll please do stay safe. 
there in South Florida, and we'll keep our fingers crossed that maybe we cross paths in, in Las Vegas for Summer League or when, when next season rolls around. Thank you again so much for the time. Pete, same, same to you. you. You are one of our most respected colleagues uh, from all your peers around the league. Um, you guys do a great job in Memphis. Best wishes to Brevin, to our old friend Justice Winslow. We're glad he's healthy again and, and back out on the court. And good luck to, to you and the Memphis Grizzlies the rest of the season. Eric, thanks so much. Good conversation with Eric Reed, one of the guys I really enjoy visiting with when we uh, are able to travel and be out on the road. Our thanks to Eric for being our friend of the program today, which has been brought to you by the Youth Athletic Foundation. Its mission is to assist student-athletes in developing a strong work ethic through discipline, responsibility, and accountability. Their goal is to help youngsters understand the importance of working hard to be the best they can be on the court, in the classroom, and in the community. The YAF has donated millions of dollars to charities, families, local high schools, and youth sports programs. That does it for Episode 20 of the Grizz Weekly Grind, a proud affiliate of the Basketball Podcast Network. I'm Pete Pranica. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you next time.